Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast series called I've Never Done This Before. I'm your host, Mary Agarwal, the founder and CEO of Nurture. Nurture is a platform that enhances well-being for working par- parents, caregivers, and their families. I've Never Done This Before is a podcast focused on sharing stories related to the lonely journey of parenting and caregiving, both at work and at home. In this episode, we are discussing caregiving challenges for those who have never done this before and are beginning to manage both their kids and their parents. I'm excited to have my guest today, Dr. Wasserman. Dr. Wasserman is a geriatrician. He has been um, uh, he's been doing this for many, many years. He's also uh, the the president of California Long Term Care and um, has been uh, the CEO of Rockport Health Services. Dr. Wasserman, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on because I know that there is a lot of people today challenged uh, with this, this issue of managing their home and also their parents. Yeah, um, we're, we're, we're living in what's called the sandwich generation where uh, the, the adults at home are taking care of their teenage children as well as their parents oftentimes. Yeah, so I, I you know, first of all, I, I would love for you to talk about, you know, your experience as a geriatrician, some of the things that you have seen and what really um, is sort of a, a, a concern that you see as, as people oh. come into this, uh, you know, taking care of the parents. Absolutely. No, I, I've, I've been a geriatrician for many years, and I've, I've taken care of many older adults. And, and when you're taking care of an older adult, uh, you're, you have to involve their family and their family dynamics, especially as you get to the more frail or cognitively impaired uh, older adults. For example, you know, someone who's got Alzheimer's disease is probably the, the prime example of some of the challenges that the children of, of these people face in, in trying to navigate uh, dealing with uh, their own lives as well as their parents' lives. Yeah, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to really bring you on um, as a guest speaker is um, I attended a TED talk, uh, TEDx talk at UCLA and um, I don't remember exactly who the speaker was, but they were talking about, you know, caregivers and the challenges they face. And some of them have really have a really hard time psychologically trying to take care of somebody who is not able to take care. So taking care of adults is harder than taking care of children. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. You know, it's it's different. <laughs> right. Having having had two children, having a grandchild, having parents, uh, I've I've probably done and seen it all, and I just say it's different. Um, and 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 I guess by being different, it also means you're often not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And so and 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 actually, uh, one of the challenges is is if you try to treat your parent as you treat your children, mm-hmm. you're, you're bound to run into problems uh, for obvious reasons. Your, your parents are not your children. And 
and yet there is actually a tendency, and I've seen this many, many times, for, for the children to start treating their parents as if they're children. And, and the parents will really um, resist uh, such an approach. And, and in many cases, they should resist. Uh, you know, one, one of my favorite uh, metaphors is, or examples is, you know, we have uh, 20-year-olds who make poor decisions. And we, we expect that. We know that that's part of growing up. That's part of life. Mm-hmm. And, and they, have to, they have to live with their decisions. And yet, if your 90-year-old parent makes a decision that you deem as poor, is, are you really required? Do you really need to intervene? And actually, can you and should you? So probably one of the best examples has to do with uh, being independent, staying independent. Most, most older adults really hold on to their independence. Uh, they want to keep driving. They want to stay in their own home. And sometimes it becomes unsafe. Mm-hmm. And now from the driving perspective, and we can talk about that later, that's a huge issue and it's very challenging. And I've dealt with that many, many times over the years. Uh, in terms of just general home safety, it, it's almost an ethical question that if an older person recognizing or recognizes they are at risk, but choose to take the risk, is that okay? And as a child, you want to protect your parents, just like you want to protect your children. But if your parent chooses to do something that might harm them, but they are aware of the risks and they choose to take them, uh, you know, what do you do? Those are sort of the, some of the ethical conundrums that we face that when you're dealing with your own children, it's very simple. If I see something my child is going to do that's going to put them in danger, I know I have a responsibility to protect them. With a parent, it's a little different, especially if that parent still has their wits about them and still is capable of making decisions. It's a whole other story if they say they have Alzheimer's disease and they're unable to, to make their own decisions. That's a, those are, those are, that's a totally different situation. So that's, that's really interesting. And I, I, it's just making me think of so many other questions that, uh, you know, that people might be, might be thinking of. Um, one thing that you said was often not prepared. Um, talk about that a little bit, because I think that that is probably one of the biggest challenge people face. They're not prepared. They've never done this before. Correct. I, I, think, I think no one is really taught how to deal with an older parent uh, starting to become more frail, starting to fail, uh, having their own problems, uh, being ill, you know, not necessarily taking care of themselves. Uh, it's, and, w- and when it happens, it, it kind of comes out of the blue because when you're young, say you're, when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s and your parents are 40, 50, 60, you're not involved in their life in terms of, you know, how are they, how are they making ends meet? How are they taking care of themselves? What are they mm-hmm. doing? You're, you're completely uninvolved. Right. And then all of a sudden at some point, uh, a, a switch turns 
and there are signs that maybe your parent is struggling. Right. And, and that's a brand new thing that, that you're totally unprepared for. And I, and I think it's a very common tendency to slip into the parental mode. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the reasons for that is there, there's actually a lot of ageism in our society. And it's very easy to look at older adults as children, which we really need to avoid doing. You really, I think some of the best advice I can give to, to you know, the children of, of frail or, or older parents is to maintain the respect of their, that they have for their parents, remain, re- retain the respect of sort of the concept of elderhood, um, which I think is a really great word to describe sort of some of these situations. Um, you know, in a lot of cultures and societies, no matter how old someone or the older someone gets, the more they're respected. Mm-hmm. And in our society, I think sometimes that's lost. And, the, and we tend to fall back on our more natural, protective, parental responses to things. That, that's really interesting what you're saying. It's, it's um, yeah, in many other cultures, you know, elderly are respected. But I also know that there is an aspect of, um, you know, what was, how well prepared were you, like you said, I mean, as, as, a, as a 44 year old, I'm not thinking about that yet, but, you know, I often see people um, who would do everything and give everything away to their children, not saving enough for their own well-being when they are not able to produce income. And so now in the older age, they're having to depend on their kids. So there's, there's, there's so many things. It's like life stages that come along this deci- these decisions as well. Um, so so I, I've seen that people are struggling with that cultural shift as well as, you know, becoming that parent. And now I'm going to treat you like a child. So that's, that's very interesting coming from, you know, from someone who, who's been in this uh, sort of care, um, uh, caregiving aspect. Yeah. You know, our society, it's, it's funny you, you sort of put it in that perspective because I think... Um, for instance, my parents grew up during the Depression uh, and, and, and subsequent to the Depression. And that generation really wanted to succeed so they could make sure that their children succeeded as well. And we're, we're entering an era where you see a lot of kids coming back to live with their adult parents or their older adult parents. So you'll have a 70-year-old parent with a 50-year-old kid moving in with them because the economy is, is having issues. They're having issues with the economy or they're, they're, they can't get a good enough job or the cost of living is too high. And, and what's interesting is uh, my generation, and I'm 60, uh, tends to be very willing to give to their children 
um, to do whatever they need to do to help them. It's sort of, we, 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 we inherited that from our parents. Mm-hmm. And, and I think <laughs> I hadn't even thought about this until you brought it up, but there are going to be a lot of parents in my generation that spend most of their will, wealth <clears throat> or, or their, their net worth on helping their kids to the extent that when they get to be 90 years old, the rubber's going to meet the road and you're right. What are the kids going to do in terms of helping to take care of their parents? And we, we've begun to see that. You, you mm-hmm. have situations where, you know, mom needs to go into a nursing home or an assisted living and, and can't afford it. And the kids yeah. have to chip in and help or, or the kids takes turns having mom live with them. And there's, there's all, there's so many variations on this theme. And I think because of uh, today's economy, this is only going to heighten as an issue uh, where I think we're going to have less and less uh, older, very older adult parents who have the wherewithal to totally take care of themselves. Yeah. And, you know, coming from the finance um, uh, field, I've seen that quite a bit. You know, people have tremendous, I mean, we got to see people who had built hard, worked very hard, built wealth. And when it came to, you know, having to find that space and find that, I, I don't necessarily know that there was a lot of choice um, they had. It was, it was chosen for them by someone else who may not have been, uh, may not have participated in the wealth creation, but they are now the decision maker and also they're having to worry about how long this wealth is going to last. So obviously you're going to make decisions based on, you know, um, what makes sense for for it to last. Um, I'm curious, you know, in your experience uh, in all these years, what what would you say you know have you seen issues with um abuse and have you seen issues whether it's a financial abuse or even physical abuse and and if the family finds out you know how do they react and what how do they they deal with that oh it's you know that's a huge issue uh abuse fraud and abuse as it relates to older adults is a growing issue um, obviously, a lot of older adults are vulnerable uh, to fraud, first of all, um, they'll, especially in today's internet world and phone world, they'll have gotten very sophisticated in terms of how to uh, take advantage of other people. And, and again, uh, for, for some older adults, if they've had, if they have any cognitive dysfunction or they've slowed down a little bit um, from a thought process perspective, uh, they can be very vulnerable, and uh, and I think that's a big issue. And 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 the other issue is just fraud and abuse from one's family. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I have to be honest. Uh, in my experience over the years, I haven't seen this to be a huge issue. It's not. I don't think it's rampant. Um, mm-hmm. I think. I think uh, for all the issues we have in our society. I think that most, you know, families love their older adult uh, parents and grandparents. Um, they may not necessarily have the tools on how to help them or take care of them, but I, 
I think fraud, you know, abuse is, uh, is not necessarily rampant, but at the same time, it, it, it can't be ignored. And when it occurs, it's very serious. And so there's a lot of efforts being taken to help recognize it. The, the other thing is sort of the, the subtle abuse that that goes on that it the the uh, the abuse that is not def necessarily meant uh, there's no intent for it to be abuse and, and that often relates to what i was talking about in relationship to ageism uh, mm -hmm. making assumptions about older adults that they're that they can't take care of themselves or they don't know what's best for them uh, those can more subtly lead to different levels of abuse Mm -hmm. and being taken advantage of by by others or even by one's own family mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you know it it can get very complex i think that's often it's good for an older person to have uh, somewhat some some sort of legal type of representation or uh, financial representation from someone who has a fiduciary responsibility to that person to protect them mm -hmm. and to to make sure that uh, they're not being taken advantage of or abused. Yeah, I mean, and the, the other thing we used to see um, in the bank would be, you know, financial power of attorney. But oftentimes, as, as people are making that decision, um, they're not really thinking about who the financial power of attorney, um, what is their background, right? So oftentimes, people would choose a financial power of attorney that is, um, that is chosen because of an emotional connection. Um, but I, I'm sure you would, on your end in healthcare, you would see that there, that, that has a lot to do with how, what is, what care is selected and how they're being treated as well. No, that's actually, it's a great point, both financial power of attorney and healthcare power of attorney. Right. And th those are two separate things. And a lot of people don't always realize that, that, um, you know, you want a financial power of attorney that is really, that really has your best interests in mind and and you want to be thoughtful about how you choose that person you're right it shouldn't it's nice if it's a friend but it should be a friend who has some experience and knowledge and background and and knows what you want to do and what matters to you um, the the healthcare power of attorney is often actually more important right and and it often is ignored and no one really pays close attention uh, at, you you want whether it, as an older adult parent or as an old as a the child of an older adult, uh, both should be concerned and knowledgeable about the need for their older adult loved one to have a healthcare power of attorney, and whoever is the person, whoever is the designee, that person really needs to understand the 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 goals, the preferences, the wishes, the dreams, the what matters. Uh, because when push comes to shove and, and that older adult's in the hospital and they don't recognize anyone and, uh, and, 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 and a decision has to be made, uh, what you want to avoid is the typical child response of, uh, gosh, I don't want to make such a decision. I mean, I'm, am I, in the worst case scenario, you know, sometimes it's a life and death decision. Do, do we let mom die? Do we let, you know, do we, do we keep her alive? Do we keep her life prolonged? And you don't want those decisions to be made based on pure emotion. You want them to be based on 
the desires of the the parent themselves and uh you know that's a whole other there there are there are approaches to take to um developing what are called advanced directives uh, and it's not just signing a form and writing down i don't want this or i don't want that it's really delving into making sure the child understands what what's important to their parent and in my experience as a geriatrician over many many years is that oftentimes the child really does understand what matters to their parent um, you know they 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 know that that parent would never want to be a burden they know that that parent would never want to be uh, kept alive if they didn't have their faculties about them and they didn't recognize anyone. Um, they know a lot of this. And, and, and I think we, we, we really as a society have done a lousy job of, of communication in this dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, what, what tends to happen is what you see on television. You know, right. mom's in the ICU, they're about to do something. The doctor comes in and says to the, the child, what do you want us to do? And, and it's the wrong question, first of all. The question that doctors should ask is, what would mom want? Uh, because if you, if you tell the child, we really want to know what would be important to mom, and then the doctor makes the decision, then the child doesn't feel like they're the ones making a life and death decision, which they should never do. Um, that, that creates guilt. It creates all sorts of other dynamics. Um, so I, I kind of got on this, uh, not really a tangent, but the whole issue of the healthcare power of attorney is really, really important in the relationship between an older adult parent and, and their children, uh, identifying who that person is that would represent mom or dad if they can't speak for themselves. And, 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 that's and really does, that, does that get even more complicated when there is siblings involved oh. i would assume right yeah oh beyond complicated sometimes especially if there's siblings um that have you know that are that haven't been in the picture yeah that all of a sudden at the last minute show up and they're guilty and there's all sorts of dynamics uh, why it's critical you actually have a process worked out um you know there are there are forms one can use there are websites uh, that do this. There's, there's actually one that I've, I've been familiar with for several years called mydirectives.com mm -hmm. that allows a, uh, a person to put their advanced directives, um, uh, you know, in the cloud so that it's available. It also helps them sort of walk through the process. So it isn't just a cookie cutter sort of response and it gives a it gives a more information that allows everyone to be thoughtful about these decisions and one more thing that you had mentioned um that that i i want to go back to where you say you know what the doctor should be asking versus what they normally ask so i have to ask you do you feel that many doctors are trained well enough to ask these critical questions to help, um, you know, the family? A absolutely not. 
that might be surprising. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was waiting to say absolutely yes, no, but no, okay. No, no, so I, I don't know whether you're surprised by my answer or, or really not surprised or, or surprised. I'm surprised, that, as, or, or, as I'm sure would all our listeners would be yeah. too. Or, or maybe surprised that I would actually come out and say it, right? That, yeah, I love it, that, yeah. That, that most doctors, uh, for lack of a better word, are incompetent when it comes to these discussions. Uh, this is not something that is taught well in medical school. It is not taught well in residency. And in fact, a lot of this sort of communication is one of those things that is generally handed down from mm -hmm. physician generation to physician generation. Wow. In, in training in terms of how not to do it. And, you know, I, I gave you the example of the doctor coming out of the ICU and to the, saying to the family, what do you want us to do? Um, that is what we see in the movies. That is what we see on television. And I dare say that is most commonly what we see in real life. And, and it is so wrong from a medical ethical perspective um, that, and, and it's not what doctors are taught in their medical ethics class, which they get in their first or second year of medical school, that they tend to ignore because they're focused on anatomy and physiology and everything else. Um, the, the key for a physician in this discussion is recognizing the dignity and autonomy of the patient, uh, recognizing, again, the question I always say is, what would mom want? And as a, as a child, as a, as a designee, as a responsible party in an advanced directive, the question the child should ask, the question the doctor should say to the child, if the parent can't speak for themselves, is if you could talk to mom, if mom was able to tell you what he or she wanted, or mom or dad, what would they say? And it's, it's actually a very simple technique and it's it's remarkable how um how many doctors do not do that so and you may ask what do we do about that well podcasts like this hopefully can increase awareness of of this issue and if the doctors aren't asking the question properly the children need to um say to the doctor look it's not what I want. It's what my mom would want. Right. It, 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 it completely makes sense. But, you know, as a non-physician, a non-healthcare provider, how would I know? And, and so thank you for bringing that up because at the end of the day, it really, uh, for the patient or the family, we want to be educated as to what is our rights. And, um, and what is the, the care, you know, the person who is being cared for, what is their right? So, and it, it's not talked about a lot. And, and it's not, you know, it's not common for people to, to talk about that too. No, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say one of the reasons is um, there's really a concept that has come up in the last several years called person-centered care. Now, mm -hmm. ironically, a lot of medical schools teach this as patient-centered care, and I, I actually chafe at that approach because 
by calling the person a patient, you're actually beginning the process of objectification mm-hmm. of that person into a patient. And we all know that doctors are always looking for things that they can do to someone. Uh, can they do a procedure? Can they do a test? Can they give a medication? And, and, and what's wrong with our healthcare system today is that's the go-to approach by the physician. How can I fix a problem before they even find out from the person what their preferences are, what their goals are, what matters to them? So that's really the core element of all this is to do this right. We need physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, everyone in the healthcare field focused on the person's preferences and goals before they start thinking about treatment, uh, management, procedures, etc. Because if you don't know what the person wants, you really can't take an approach to their care that reflects that person's wishes. That is interesting because it makes so much sense when you say it's a person versus a patient because not everybody is a patient just because you're old doesn't mean that that's correct what, yeah that's interesting um so let me ask you this um you're you mentioned you're 60 years old and so what are you doing to prepare for you know when you are um in in and in, in under somebody's care. Yeah. You know, as they say, do as I say, not as I do. I'm really good at talking about this. And, <laughs> um, I, I, I haven't been as good as I can for, for, for preparing myself. I, I mean, and I think that's part of what happens to a lot of people. We, we don't want to look at our own mortality. We don't want to recognize our own weaknesses. And, right. and, and so, yeah, I have actually begun the process of developing those advanced directives that describe, define for my children what my wishes would be. I've certainly had this discussion with my spouse so that if something happens to me um, and vice versa, if something happens to her, we know what our wishes are and we can, and we can represent each other in that regard. Um, it, it is always an interesting question in regards, and it's funny, we have Thanksgiving coming up soon. I've, I've done some articles in the past on discussions to have around the Thanksgiving table. And, and this isn't necessarily one of those joyous discussions. Right. But, but at the end of the day, at some point in time, you have to have these discussions with your children that if something happens to me, um, this is who I am and what I believe in. And this is how I want to rep- you to represent me. So and, and again, there are some tools. That's one of the beauties of the internet uh, that I think we can take advantage of is there are apps out there now that allow you to express your wishes in a way that even if uh, your children aren't around or available to state your wishes, someone could um, uh, find them. Uh, someone could uh, get access to them. Mm-hmm. And, and whether it's in writing or even on a short video, right. be able to see what your wishes are. And, and I think that's, that's, a, that's probably the best way to go these days. 
Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say is planning, 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 right? That's coming again, you know, as a wealth advisor, one of the things that we would yes. always advise our clients is have a plan and whether both financially, healthcare, power of attorney, all of that with like planning was the key to how your future will look like. Um, so, you know, as we think of this planning phase and as people, children are entering this phase of, okay, now I'm going to have to take care of my, uh, my parents, um, you know, obviously their work is going to be affected too. So they're going to have to take time away from their work yeah. um, to take care of their parents, which is what ultimately nurtures focus is, um, to really empower yes. employees um, with with resources. Um, now, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like how does a family handle? No, I no. mean both both working uh, children may end up taking care of the elderly. Right? Absolutely, and and this is one of the reasons when you told me about you know what what you're doing, and I I, I was so supportive because uh, this is a huge societal issue. This is a huge issue on the business side for large companies and small companies alike, that uh, their employees, as the, as the baby boomer population gets older, their employees are gonna have issues where we're all familiar with, you know, your child is sick and you gotta rush to home and we'll get to the school and pick them up. But, you know, when you get that phone call that your mom just walked out of the uh, assisted living and they can't find her, or that she fell and she broke her hip. These are all issues that happen on a day-to-day -day basis. Those are some stark examples, but the impact on businesses is huge. It's in the billions and billions and probably hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah, of 300 billion. On the economy, and exactly. And, and so I think, again, we, we must use the technology that is at hand to give people more tools, more education. Uh, and, I, and I also think that businesses over time need to develop uh, systems and models. And, and it, it makes sense. There's a return on investment for large and small businesses alike. If they help their employees deal with these things, they're going to have less time away from work. They're going to have better morale. Uh, if they can help their employees to help take help them take care of their older loved ones and 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 access the resources needed to do so it's it's going to have a positive effect on the economy in the end absolutely uh, that is something i i don't believe employers today are prepared for and they're not really looking at it i know that there's a lot of companies today really um, empowering employers to look at uh, or, or giving them information to look at maternity care and paternity care, but there is this sandwich generation, like you said, yes. um, employers may, may not, may or may not be thinking about that. So no. definitely it's a big issue. Yeah. And I think they are assuming that the, you know, the, the, the parents of their employees should be able to take care of themselves. But I think that assumption is incorrect. And I think it's, it's not only incorrect, it's getting worse. As I, as I pointed out earlier, I think, I think this is just going to come and hit, hit folks right in the head. So I, I think the, the far, the forward thinking companies will address this. Uh, and, and I think it's really, 
it's always interesting on a business side how businesses approach benefits uh, to be more competitive in the marketplace. And I think it's only a matter of time before, before benefits around caregiving uh, start showing up. And I think that's, that could be a make or break for someone taking a job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I'm going to ask you, you know, if you, have, if you have your own story of, of, you know, when, because you've been doing this for so long, and if there was a moment that you felt, um, wow, this is a situation that I've never seen before, or personally, I've never done this. If you have something that we would love to hear that. Um, well, I always joke that there's very little in the last 30 years that I haven't seen. Um, but, but, but there are, I will say on a personal level, I, I came head to head with a number of these issues with my own in-laws several years ago. The first when one of them was, was in the dying process and, you know, we're, we're in the ICU and the doctors are like, well, we can keep her going. And the family, you can see it's a deer in the headlight. The family doesn't, they're, they're supposed to respect the doctors. They're supposed to listen to the doctors. And I, I intervened. I, I said, wait a minute, you know, I don't think mom would want this. I think, I think dad's ready for her to go. I think we're all ready. You don't need to keep uh, doing things to keep her alive an extra day or two when she doesn't even know what's going on. Um, and and it, it really became clear to me that as, as much as I had knowledge of all this, um, in that scenario, when you're in the middle of it, you're, not, you're still not always prepared. Um, and then with my own father-in-law, as he declined, um, and we started looking for an assisted living, and he resisted because he didn't want to spend his money. Uh, he didn't want to spend the inheritance, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, one day, you know, he, you know, we get a call from the caregiver who was helping take care of him that uh, he can't get in the house. My father-in-law is in the bathroom on the floor. His life alert is still sitting at the nightstand because it was too much of a hassle to carry with him into the bathroom. <laughs> and so I think it is humbling that even for folks like myself who are well-versed, well-experienced mm -hmm. in this, that these issues, when they really occur in real time, are very complicated. And, and I, I think the important take-home message of that is none of us should ever beat ourselves up over whether we did a good job or not because these situations are so complex. Um, on the other hand, as I experienced with my father-in-law in the hospital, as knowledgeable as I was, as prepared as I was, a lot of the systems out there are really bad. Mm. And you need to get support. You need to get help. You need resources. You should never hesitate to be a squeaky wheel. Um, you know, I can close with one thing as a physician. Uh, we usually always, it's kind of half jokingly talk about the daughter because it's usually a daughter that's the one there. Uh, and and the, the difficult daughter who's being a complete pain, in my whole career, that daughter could never be too difficult because in my mind, I always said, and I would tell the daughter this, if this were my parent, I'd be fighting tooth and nail for them as you are and as you should be. So no daughter, no son should ever feel guilty 
that they're being a squeaky wheel, that they are complaining, that they're making a lot of noise. And no doctor, and this is a big one because doctors complain all the time about the difficult families. And, and if I had another qualm with my profession is that is just horrible. Doctor, when, when you have families that are difficult, it means you need to step up your game and you need to look at why they're fighting so hard for their loved one. And you need to help figure out how to help them. Wow. That was, that was really, really incredible. Um, thank you for sharing um, not only a personal story, but also, I mean, you, you really made me look at um, the scenario as if it's real and, and uh, the impact of that um, that might have on families. That's really incredible. Um, I want to ask you one last question, though. Yeah. And, and, and that is, um, we have parenting classes for newborn. We have Lamaze classes for people going in birth. Yes. Uh, birth and, uh, but we have nothing. So you know where I'm going. Yeah, uh, no, I, th I, th I think you're spot on. I think, I think this is something that we need to be training folks in. Uh, there absolutely needs to be education. There needs to be resources. And I think uh, it's easy for all the other things you mentioned to access the system for those things. I think it's a lot harder and uh, in, in finding the place, the location for these resources. But I think in today's world, the internet becomes the go-to place. And uh, I, I think I, there's no question that we need these resources. That's great. Perhaps you will develop a training class for anyone entering the space. Um, I can't wait to, to, uh, to, uh, to participate in that myself. Um, well, thank you so much for joining and uh, sharing these valuable, valuable insights. And I'm sure all our listeners are going to really uh, appreciate everything you've shared today. Um, thank you to all of you for listening to our podcast. I hope this conversation was insightful and helpful. And if you like the conversation, please don't keep us a secret. If you like to share your own stories, please do submit it on our website, www.nurture.com. And feel free to follow Dr. Mike Wasserman um, on LinkedIn. Uh, I think you have a, a, a great following. Yep, and I and and actually, I'll do a shout out for Twitter. I, it is at Wasdoc, W-A-S-S-D-O-C, and uh, pretty much all things regarding older adults. That's amazing. Well, thank you for tuning in. Oh, goodbye. Hey, thank you.